I'm Liam Printer and this is The Motivated Classroom. Hello, bonjour, folcha, bienvenidos. Welcome to the Motivated Classroom podcast. A huge gurabila mahagav. Thank you to all of you for joining me for this episode 78. Unbelievable. Every time I get to another episode, I'm just thinking uh, this must be the last five or six of them now. And then more ideas, more emails comes in, more things I read. And I go, OK, I'll do an episode on that. And we're still here nearly two years later. So there we go. So thank you for staying with me all this time. Please keep sharing and telling your friends all about it. Now, of course, this is the Motivated Classroom podcast. So we always start with our little bit of Irish. And today I often say in the podcast, let's jump in. Well, to say jump in in Irish is lame ischach. And we say isteach for in, amach for out. And you often hear that if you go to any Irish Kayleys or Irish dancing, they might say isteach, amach, which is in and out when you're dancing. And lame isteach is jump in. And I actually came across this phrase from one of the little Irish books that I am reading to my daughter at night to see if she will maybe pick up some Irish. That's not really the goal, though, really. I'm thinking more along the lines of that she will be familiar that there is another Irish language. It's different. It's not the same as English. There is culture and heritage there. So when we go to Ireland, she can see that written on the signpost and recognise it. But really, from the small amounts of input she'll be getting, it's it's not likely that she will turn into a fluent speaker, but just that she has an awareness of it. So I'm reading to her at night in Irish and came across that lame isteach. And so uh, we'll see if uh, she picks up these phrases. So there we go. Now, today's episode is a lead on from last week's episode where we spoke about retention of students in our language programs, uptake, how we make sure that we try and keep those language learners in our classes as long as we possibly can. And we spoke about motivation and engagement and those things that are within our control. Now, something that is kind of within your control, but may not be exactly within your control, is whether or not your school does what's called streaming or setting. Now, actually, I didn't really know the difference between these two things until quite recently. And setting is when students are separated by ability or aptitude, depending on scores from classes in a particular class. So, for example, in a maths programme, they might be separated into the higher and the lower class or in a language programme like we have, maybe separated into the high and low set. So this this is setting. Streaming is when they're all together put into one class and, you know, you are the low learners and you are going to be in this stream and you follow these classes and you're in the high stream and you follow these classes. I am very against both of these. I really do not think they work and I have evidence to back that up both in my own setting and many other studies which I'm going to share today. And you hear it over and over again, teachers complaining about having the bottom set, the low set. And I'll come out with ideas or I'll say stuff on the podcast. And it's very frequent that people will reply on Twitter or Instagram and say, oh, these ideas are brilliant. But how on earth do I do that with a bottom set? How on earth do I do that with my low class? Yeah, that's a great idea, but that would never work with my bottom set. So even though we may think we are doing the students a favour by separating them and saying, oh no, of course, we need to put all the strong learners together and we need to put the lower ones together so that they can understand what's going on. We think this is a good idea and I grew up in a system like that, but the evidence would tell us that it is not a good idea. What it does is reinforces inequality. It makes sure that those really high level learners, those ones who come from families with loads of support and who are read to over and over again at night and have a real love of learning in their house, they go into these top level classes and they just get better and better. And yes, when we separate out low and high ability or aptitude, we are helping those 
two or three percent, those top level learners. But the other 90 percent of learners or even the 70 percent in the middle, we're actually really impacting their educational experience negatively. So is that something we really want to do? Do we want to keep helping those who already come from maybe a very privileged background and family and have loads of support like I had in my family? Or do we want to try and even it out a bit more and give some of those great teachers and learning experiences to those students who may need it that little bit more? So that's really what I want to talk about today. So the first study I want to really look at to do with this is a study by Parsons and Hallam in 2014. And this is on the impact of streaming on attainment at age seven. So these are young children. And basically, this was 19,000 children across the UK tracked in a big longitudinal study, which is called the Millennium Cohort Study over five years. Now, while these students were not involved in language acquisition classes directly, this looked at other classes like mathematics and English. This does come to very similar conclusions to many other studies that look about this separating kids by high and low levels. Now, to be honest, I actually really hate those terms, high and low ability. It really just does not sit well with me at all. Now, we all have our own ways and of looking at the world and the way that we see things. Personally, for me, having read quite a bit around motivation and engagement from my doctorate and my experience, but also my morals, my background, my values, I just really don't think it does anyone any favours to label them low and high ability, achievement, attainment in kind of any setting. If you think about motivation is based around autonomy, relatedness and competence. And actually, we could really say that motivation comes from achievement and not the other way around. It's not that achievement comes from motivation, if that's if that makes sense to you. So when you achieve something, you feel motivated, you are competent, you have self-efficacy. When you are not achieving or you don't feel like you are and you're put into a low or even a medium set or class, that immediately is going to impact your motivation hugely. Now, for those who've listened to all episodes of the podcast, you would have listened to Chloe Lapierre, who was on here, who was the teacher who I worked with for my doctorate, the French teacher who I followed over a whole year longitudinal study. And her class came in to her with very, very low motivation. Now, why do they have such low motivation? Because many of them over and over again had to repeat the same level or were put into a lower level class. So they just thought, I can't do this. I'm not good enough for it. And she managed to turn that around. She had a very mixed ability class, which ended up really helping. But they came to her with exceptionally low motivation and engagement because over and over again in previous schools, they'd been told you're not good enough. You're not good enough to go to the next level. You need to repeat phase one. You're in the low set. And of course, when you get told this, you're just going to give up. And and the fact that we think that, oh, no, by putting all the low level learners together. And again, I, I really despise that phrase, but I can't think of a better way to say it. By putting for, together those low aptitude learners, we're helping them in some way so they can all be together and they can all struggle together and, and that'll be brilliant because we can tailor the material and dumb it down to their level. This is just a fallacy. It does not work. And you see that over and over and over again. 
you find me a bottom set or a class of uh, students who are told you are the low achieving ones and they manage to break through and all graduate really well with great results in those subjects and completely change. If you do, they probably exist and they might do in very isolated circumstances. But the vast majority of students, when you destroy their competence like that, we know this from the research on self-determination theory, thousands and thousands of studies that competence, self-efficacy, achievement is so important those students will give up and they will switch off. I did it in mathematics, definitely. I know of many of you listening to this going, yeah, I was put into the low level class in whatever it was and you probably went, I'm not, I'm just not a mathematic person. I can't really do it. I was put into the low level class. Now, of course, I hear some of you saying, but we need to support those really high level students as well. Like that's really important. I am 100% with you. Yes, we do. But not more than the other learners. We don't need to give them more support, the ones who are already achieving really, really well. They're going to do really well regardless of what class they're in. If you put them in a class of mixed ability, they're still going to do really well. They have a huge support network behind them. They're being read to at home. They may be even getting extra tutoring outside of school. They are really motivated. They're engaged. They see a love of learning and they're going to go and do really well. Yes, the group impact has an impact on them. Of course it does. But do we want to just support those two or three really excellent learners who are going to go and get an A or the top result anyway? Or is it more humane and more humanity and more of a moral compass to support everybody in the room, the other 25, 28 kids in the room who really need that group dynamic of people who will push them and bring them up? So that's the important thing to think about. So let's have a look at some of the findings from this big study. 19,000 children, five years in the UK, they were tracked and basically the conclusions are really strong. It's actually quite rare for a research study of this size and of this breadth to come up with conclusions that are so strong and the wording is so strong. So they use words like streaming slightly helps those in the top stream, but significantly worsens the learning and well-being, important, really important, and well-being outcomes for those in the middle and bottom streams. So it helps those in the top stream a little bit, to be in with other high level learners, but it significantly dampens well-being and learning for everybody else. To me, that is simply saying we agree with inequality and we want to keep going with inequality. That's what we want to keep helping the most privileged. The rest you can struggle through. We're going to put you in a class with other people who are really struggling and they're not going to help you at all. Other conclusions from the study, those in the lowest stream are often classified as low ability or from ethnic minorities or from very challenging circumstances. Now, it's really important to say that is not always the case. I certainly do not want you listening to this going, that person is from this household or ethnic minority, therefore they are low ability. Absolutely not. We know that is completely not true. However, what we do see over and over again is students who come from challenging circumstances, a difficult home environment or a home environment where there's maybe not as much privilege as other students. They don't have as much time and support from their parents. They don't have as much reading in the house as others. And therefore, of course, that social and cultural capital that the privileged students grow up with, those students from those challenging circumstances may not have that. So it's even more important that we give it to them in school and we level the playing field a bit for them in school if at home they're not getting it. Now, really important again to repeat, it has nothing to do with their ethnicity. It has nothing to do with anything else like that. It's just some households, some places are more challenging than others. Some families are more supporting than others. And what we see in the research is those families where reading and having time to go over homework and lots of time and privilege there, they of course come in with a greater love of learning and they're more ready to learn. 
Now, really importantly in the study as well, of course, they repeat that when students are put into this lowest stream or they're put into the lowest set, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, leading to disengagement and underperforming. So you go, oh, well, I'm not very good at maths or languages. I've been put into this lower ability class. I didn't make the higher ability class, so I must not be very good at it. So you don't put in as much effort. Those around you are thinking exactly the same thing. There's the group dynamic. They're not putting in much effort. Neither am I. The teacher is also thinking you're a bottom set. You're the lowest ability. I'm not going to challenge you that much. And of course, that vicious cycle continues and they all drop it as quick as they can and go to the subjects that they were being successful in. Now, there's lots of related research to this. So one of the big things is the Kohler effect. This has been tested over and over again. I mentioned before on the podcast, this is about when you're working with someone who is just that little bit of a higher ability or work ethic than you, you will bring your effort to the table and you will work harder because you have that group dynamic there. So there's somebody around you working hard. It helps you to work hard. So if we put into a class all of those students who struggled in their first year or even who just struggled on an entrance exam, I just I can't get my head around people in our schools doing this to go, you did this exam, you've got low achievement, we're going to stick you in this low level class. It should be the total opposite. And when we do this, the Kohler effect is when you're working with someone and you pull yourself up to that level. And we see this remarkably upon study and study and study and across all sorts of areas, including really interesting, they did studies on sports and athletes and swimmers. So swimmers getting into the water, these are professional swimmers, like absolutely every time they hit the water, they're swimming as hard as they possibly can. Yet, When they went into a relay team, they broke their personal record because they were now in a team and their team was relying on them. Everyone else was swimming hard. They're in a race. They just pushed it that little bit more. And we see this in classrooms and in other circumstances as well. So there, if we have that Kohler effect, you're working students around you who are that little bit higher ability or who are pushing a bit harder, working a bit harder, you will raise to that challenge and work hard with them. And of course, the opposite also being true. And so the big kind of conclusion that they came to in this study, and I'm quoting here from the study, streaming therefore advantages those who are already high attainers, disadvantaging those who are placed in the middle and lower groups, who are deprived of opportunities for working with those who are more advanced. That is a pretty strong conclusion from a major longitudinal study of 19,000 kids over five years. And they say, and I quote, it widens the gap between low and high attaining students. So if you are in a school environment where this is common practice, students complete maybe one year. This is the way it used to be in the school I was in seven or eight years ago. Students completed one year of the language in a mixed class because they were all beginners. They were all brought in essentially as beginners. So they, they started off and they were all in a mixed class. After year one, those who got the top grades and were working the hardest, they were went on to what was called phase two. And the other kids would either repeat phase one or do a kind of a phase one plus where, they're, you know, essentially they're all put together. We thought, like many other teachers listening to this, this was a great idea. We had all the students together who had got kind of middle of the road grades or low grades and all those on really high grades. Well, they can be pushed and we can really challenge them. But of course, what did we see over and over again after a couple of years? Very quickly, we saw number one, the teacher who was given this lower set the next year really struggled. Now, that didn't matter who the teacher was. If it was me, if it was another teacher, if it was someone else in my department, we all struggled with this bottom level set because they came in with such low motivation. They just thought, I'm not good enough, didn't make it into the other class. And all the tricks and everything we tried, yeah, you might get a little bit out of them and help a bit and improve it a bit. 
But in general, that really low motivational base was really, really hard to, to get over. Now, of course, the other teacher who had the high set was delighted. I've got all these brilliant students who are working super hard, who can really push and challenge. Wonderful. But we decided this is not working because as soon as they can drop the language, that lower set, almost the entire set of them would just drop it immediately. So what we used to do is we used to have year eight and nine, which is first and second year of learning Spanish or German, that it, you'd sign up for two years. So they would do year eight and then we were separated into high and low in year nine. And what would happen at the end of year nine? All of those in the high set would continue and all of those in the low set would say, I'm out, get me out of German and Spanish as quick as I can. I'm not able to do it. I only made the low class, get me out. So we needed to change something. So we sat down as a department and looked at this and we said, let's change it. Let's just make the year nine class and the year 10 class just completely mixed. Let's just do it completely by random. So whatever the students get on test scores doesn't matter. It's the same level for everybody in year eight, the same level for everyone in year nine. And in year 10, depending on numbers, it'll be the same year, uh, same level as well, all mixed. So we did this and there was an immediate change. Didn't matter who the teacher was, but suddenly we now had two classes of mixed ability students and everyone had the same kind of levels of engagement and motivation. The students arrived in in year nine and their second year in more or less the same class as the year before with no impact on their grades. It didn't matter that they hadn't done well or they had someone else had done well and they all pulled each other up. That Kohler effect. And what happened? 68% increase in the amount of students continuing on with Spanish and German into year 10. A 73% increase into year 11 and we had a 63% increase going on to the diploma. So this works. We immediately changed. These were the same teachers. These were, none of the teachers changed. The material was the same. The units were the same. What changed was we went from having a high level and a low level to just mixed ability classes. Now, what does that mean for the teacher? Of course, we had to differentiate a little bit more. We had to, those really high level learners in my class, of course, I need to push them a little bit more and give them something different to use or really challenge them with my questions. And those who need more support, I needed to break things down a little bit more, sit them beside someone who was just a little bit of an ability higher than them that would pull them up, the Kohler effect. And it worked almost immediately. And we, of course, have remained with that system. What we do now is year eight, all mixed, year nine, all mixed, year 10, depending on the size of the group, we may at that stage start to look at, OK, you've done two years right now. You've already done two years, depending on the size of the group. We may separate at that stage, but we haven't up until now. We've just kept them all together. So definitely what you need to do and think about in your school, if you currently do this, have a sit down and think about is it serving all of the students or just that small privileged minority at the very top of the scale? If that is the case, have a go at it. Just try it out for a couple of years. Just have a completely mixed year one and year two in your language programs. OK, then in year three, if you're getting towards GCSE in the UK or other exams, you can start to look then and go, maybe these students want to do mathematics or physics or something different. And these students want to keep going with languages. But just have a look at the difference that will have in your program. We've seen it here. We see it in the research. Now, there's also a study done by Frain and his colleagues in 2003. And this was in Belgium um, with students of Dutch. So this was also a big longitudinal study and it was conducted in Flanders in the Dutch speaking part of Belgium. It tracked 57 secondary schools with a cohort of more than 6,000 students followed from the age 12, so older students, for another three or four years, all the way up until they had left secondary school. So a major longitudinal study over more than 12 years. Absolutely massive sample size 
And this was to do with language acquisition, language achievement. And it found very, very similar things. No major surprise. So this is I'm quoting now from the study. So it says the study addresses the effects of secondary schools and classes on language achievement in Flanders, Belgium. And what did they find? They found the results of a three level analysis indicate that the group composition at the classroom environment is very important. In classes with a high average initial cognitive ability or a large proportion of girls, the language achievement is higher. Now, think about that. It's exactly talking about the same thing. When you group students together by their ability or put loads of them together who are high ability or hardworking, of course, they're going to do better. But the same is true for those who you put in the other classes. They, of course, are going to do much, much worse. And they say that the analysis show that the group composition, the makeup of the class, is even more important than educational practices, like the actual teaching, in accounting for differences in their language achievement. And they say it very nicely. They say, with whom one is taught has a larger impact than how one is taught. So that group dynamic, the Kohler effect, the fact that you are in a group with other students with mixed ability who are also pushing and trying hard really has a massive, massive impact on you and your language achievement. And of course, no surprise, they found the greatest variation in effectiveness between classes was for pupils of low prior achievement. Essentially, those students who are coming in with low prior achievements, lower test scores, lower social capital, cultural capital, lower reading ability when they arrive, if they're all stuck in together, then they essentially just bring each other down as opposed to being in with a mixed ability class and they bring each other up. So what they said was students with a high initial level obtained higher final scores. Exactly what Parsons and Hallam found in their study, the exact same thing. Those really high achievers altogether will, of course, do a bit better. But that the class level variance is very small for these students. So it only has a very, very small impact, positive impact on them. That you put all the high level learners together. Yes, it impacts them positively, but it's very small. However, initially low achievers who have lower language scores at the end of the second grade, so their their second time, For these students, the differences between classes are huge, very, very large. So essentially, if you have them in that mixed ability class, it's going to really bring them up. You separate them into a low level class. Then, of course, that group dynamic is going to bring down their ability. And interestingly, they say the language achievement is affected by the proportion of girls. Quite interesting. And the average cognitive ability in the class group. So you have an average cognitive ability of real mixed ability. It's going to help everyone. But if it's all of the lower class and the lower aptitude, then it's going to bring everyone down. Says the class and the teacher are especially important for low achievers. Now, this is to do with language acquisition, remember. And in their conclusions, they say the effectiveness of a class depends on the prior achievement of the student, especially for students that have a low language score at the end of the first year. The choice of what they can take in their second year class or how the class is composed is very important. So these are really, really important findings and not really a surprise. So it's not only impacting their motivation and and engagement, it is impacting their achievement as well. So either you can listen to this and say, yeah, but that's the way it is in my school. And and I think that we're just going to keep going with that. And if you do that, what you're saying is I am okay with just engendering more inequality as long as I get a few of those high level students through to the exams and they do really well in the exams. I don't really care about the other 85, 90 percent of kids who are not in that five or 10 percent of really high achievers and who are going to go on and study languages at a high level. 
we want to try and get to more students. So if you have the ability to do this, go and chat to your department head, chat to your principal and say, look, we normally separate students at the end of their first year of Spanish or French or German or whatever it is by high and low ability. How about next year we just have them all mixed again in their second year and let's look at what that does on their motivation and engagement and how many students go on with the subject. Have a go, try it out, see what that can do. Separating by ability is just reinforcing inequality. It is just helping the really, really privileged few. Remember that those at the very top of that pyramid of learning, of cultural capital, of social capital, of help from home, they're going to do really well anyway. And the research shows us that they are not going to do any worse in a mixed ability class. They're not going to do any worse. They're going to do just as well. They're going to do great. However, All the other students are going to really be positively impacted. And don't forget the importance of the finding from Parsons and Hallam that is to do with their well-being. Their well-being is also in being improved. And that has got to be key. If we want to improve well-being, we need great teaching. If we want great teaching, mixed ability classes help us to do that because we go in there with higher expectations. We can help everybody out. So I hope that made a little bit of sense today and I hope you've managed to listen and maybe think about the way we stream and, and set. You can see this is something I really feel strongly about. I personally believe all students can learn and acquire another language. Of course, there's different ways to get there. We all did it with our first language. Many students do it for their second and third languages. In fact, I was just chatting recently to Eowyn Crisfield, a real expert in bilingualism about the way I'm using Irish with my daughter. I wanted to get some advice. And she was saying, you know, this idea of just using one language is real Western idea. And actually we have students, you know, from come from cultures in in smaller communities in Africa and Asia, where it's quite normal for them to be around four or five different languages as they grow up. Now, if they entered a Western school system, you look at them and you go, oh, their reading ability isn't great and this or that. I'm going to put them in the lower set. But actually, they've got four or five languages going on. And if you allow it the time, they will have those four or five languages at a really high level. They just need the time and exposure. So if we're making decisions about a student being low or high ability by when they arrive to us at age 10 or 11 and they do some test or they do the first year, they may be arriving to us with a very different background from home. Maybe they've got four or five languages going on at home. Maybe they're reading loads in in Polish or in Gujarati, but they're not reading that much in English, but they're still excellent students. But we then look at their scores and go, oh, oh, no, no, they're not ready for it. And we put them in the class with all the lower level achievers, the lower aptitudes. They have that aptitude. They can keep going. They can get better. They can improve. I really believe everybody can acquire another language. I, I firmly believe that. And you see it over and over and over again throughout time, throughout history, that we can do this. But it just might take different times and different ways, different methods for different people. So having that mixed ability group gives everyone the best chance to be successful, at least for those first two years. In year three, year four, year five, then you can start to look at maybe in a track that is going towards the exams or they're really focused on getting to university and a track that's more for communication purposes and and speaking. So that's okay as well. But those first two years are critical. So thank you so much. And remember, next week I'll be chatting to the wonderful Dr. Gianfranco Conti all about his EPI approach, extensive processing instruction, and all about comprehensible input, making classes interesting and a brilliant conversation. Please tune in for that. If you feel like supporting the podcast, if you'd get me a coffee, if you bumped into me, go ahead and look up The Motivated Classroom on patreon.com. That would be wonderful. 
or you can also find me on buymeacoffee.com. That would be fantastic. So remember to end the episode, we have the Irish phrase, which is jump in. The Motivated Classroom Podcast is an original production by Liam Printer. I'm at Liam Printer on Twitter, and my YouTube channel is Liam Printer, The Motivated Classroom. Full podcast notes with links to resources are available on my website, liamprinter.com. For more, find and follow the Motivated Classroom podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Graphics and music are provided by Paul Mahan. Intro clips are thanks to the wonderful multilingual staff at the International School of Lausanne.